0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the seventh episode of Stars Oratoria, your premier Star Citizen podcast. My name is Senate Van Ryn, and I am currently broadcasting to you live from the cabin of my Origin Three Hundred I. At this time, my lovely Jean producer and I are floating, tucked away, nestled in the milky expanse of a nebula's bosom—a nebulous bosom, a bosomous nebula, the bosomous nebula now named. Presently we are out of fuel and awaiting another rendezvous as we trudge our way back to more familiar space. Some of you might be wondering what that strange, yet hauntingly beautiful sound over the Star's Oratoria theme was. Well, it was a gift. You'll remember at the time of our last episode that we were visiting with the ever-contemplative Banyu. Via methods I will shamelessly keep to myself, I managed to sneak a recorder into one of the Banyu meditation chambers to capture a sonic glimpse of the spiritual depths or heights they seek there. Then imagine my utter shock, my sheer astonishment, when their voice and song matched up near perfectly with our show theme. Truly remarkable, what are the odds? Unfortunately, it is a gift given as compensation. This episode will be a shorter one than usual due to the nature of our predicament. If the worst-case scenario occurs, and our StarSide assistance takes a bit longer than anticipated, we're going to need as much oxygen conserved as possible. Flapping my jaws isn't helping anyone. With that said, this episode, while being unusually short, will feature the news and our usual segments. Hopefully, we'll manage to squeeze in some mini-speculation alongside them. Why release an episode at all, Senate? you're asking? Well, continuity must be maintained, and if we happen to run out of oxygen and perish out here in the bosomous nebula, so named, it won't be said that we didn't sign off proper. But hopefully we survive, as yours truly will be celebrating, or lamenting might be a more accurate term, a birthday between now and our next episode. As well, our next episode should hold some interesting surprises, also contingent upon our survival. So on with the show as we want to live. But before we continue, as always, we'll take a quick break and return with the latest news and updates from Chris Roberts and the team at Cloud Imperium Games Corporation. Stick around. interesting news has been impressively bountiful of late, so let's dig right into it. First off, we've been fortunate to get a glimpse of the upcoming website and ship browser interface. As far as my understanding goes, the designer, Zane Bien, created what you see there, and Chris Roberts was so impressed, he gave Zane his first job in the industry. And it is certainly impressive. There is a link to it in the show notes, if you happen to miss it, but the preview given allows us to check out the detail of the Hornet in style. The new website is expected to launch roughly in May and will hopefully include all of the available ships at that time. This will be a great help holding us over for the hangar module which is currently set for a fall release. Alongside the ship browser, the website will see many other upgrades as well, and the forthcoming visual style should serve as a fitting preview for some of the visual bits we'll see in Star Citizen itself, as Zanebian should be working on some of those. And it was mentioned that they are striving for parity with the website and game proper. Another bit of news that might actually be one of the most exciting bits for me is the release of the Spider concept art. Spider is a quote unquote world in the Cathcart system, which is notable for numerous reasons that, spoiler alert, we will cover in the Show a System segment. Have the concept art prepped, but more on that later. A piece of intel picked up from The Last Wingman's Hangar is notable to mention as it relates to a subject that Commander Draco and I discussed in the last episode. If you'll recall, one of the ideas I really enjoyed talking about in Episode 6 was the concept of players being able to join the Navy as a career beyond the Squadron 42 single-player campaign, and possibly being able to rise through the ranks and command players below you. Well, a question covering this was featured on the hangar by user Chapel. Quote, Will we be able to enlist in the U.E.N. after Squadron 42 and in the Persistent Universe? If so, will we have full crews, have commanding officers, real people, and receive assignments like a real military force? End quote. Unfortunately, Wingman's response was that there is no system planned where you can stay in the military, but they are going to let players join militia forces where they could perhaps take jobs from the U.E.E. This is a bit disappointing but hopefully something they might reconsider in the future or add in later as a further option for the persistent universe as the game matures over the next few years. I know that one of the joys of military games for me, as alternatives to leveling up as you would in, say, an RPG, is being able to get promotions and increase in rank. Seeing the coordinating insignias or symbols of rank on your uniform would be a huge bonus, alongside other flair like ribbons or aiguillettes, which are those braided cords you often see draped from the shoulder. So until the military option becomes available, if it ever does, hopefully some player groups will step up and set up ranking systems within their own units. On my site at starsoratoria.com, I have a link to the Systems United Navy, and from casually browsing their website, it seems like they might be the closest to that military experience you might find. So if any of you are interested in that style of play, be sure to check them out. But moving along, we come to our next segment called Ship a Show, in which we detail one ship per show, at least until we run out of ships. And in celebration of the website preview that gives us the chance to spin it around for our closest look yet, we detail the Hornet from Anvil Aerospace. The RSI Ships Development Document has this tiny blurblet to say about the manufacturer, quote, Anvil Aerospace produces dogfighters, but with less of the pirate stigma. These ships are more expensive, less spit and glue." End quote. Their competitor doesn't have much to say about them, but what about the ship itself? The version that we've seen so much of thus far is the military version, but the civilian version will obviously share some similarities. Straight from the ship's development document, quote, The Hornet is the civilian version of the F-7A Hornet flown off of the elite Bengal carrier vanguard of the UEE Navy. While not outfitted for long-range runs, the Hornet can take her share of hits and dish out a consistent, powerful response. The Hornet may be uglier than anything from Origin's lineup, but pilots love them for their rugged reliability, end quote. The Hornet has a max crew of one, a mass of 22,000 kilograms, with a focus on dogfighting and interception uses. It has an upgrade capacity of six, a cargo capacity of four tons, two engine modifiers, a fusion maximum class, one times TR4 thrusters and eight times TR2, with eight hardpoints, including two class ones, two class 2s, two class 3s, and two class 4s. Now, we've all seen the Hornet a hundred times, as that's probably the average amount of times most of us have watched the tech demo and similar footage. But one thing that sticks out to me when I'm reminded is just how big the Hornet is. I've included in the show notes a link to an official forum thread created by user Hroth called Ship Size Comparison, which features, crazily enough, visual comparisons of the ships thus far released, and sized accordingly. When you think of the Hornet, and similarly the 300i, often an agile, smaller fighter like the X-Wing comes to mind. In addition, when you think of a ship like the Freelancer, which is more of a cargo vessel, you picture something larger, if not just along the lines of a Millennium Falcon. But the Hornet is almost as big as the Freelancer, which itself Is smaller than the 300i, so it's almost like the ships you would expect to be a lot smaller are much larger, while the ships you would expect to be much larger are a lot smaller. I'm hopeful that many ships larger than the Constellation become available as the game progresses, as I would like to see ships like the Hornet and 300i further dwarfed down to that fighter size by numerous vessels beyond the massive Bengal carrier, which makes them all look minuscule in comparison. But that concludes the Ship a Show segment and our look at the Anvil Aerospace Hornet. Moving into our Show a System segment, I'm really excited to talk about the spider concept art that's been released, so pull that up from the link in the show notes if you haven't already. But let's detail the system spider inhabits first, which is called Cathcart. Straight from the comlink, quote, Cathcart is widely recognized as a pirate system and its reputation in the UEE expends little treasure trying to downplay. At heart, Cathcart is a galactic junkyard with no natural planets and no particular redeeming qualities. It's been humanity's prime dumping ground for radioactive debris, failed starship hulls, and out-of-date space technology for generations. The only enforced rule... Leave the route between jump points clear at all times. The inhabitants of Cathcart have constructed makeshift environments by lashing together wrecked ships, orbital platforms, and anything else that can be repressurized. It's an interesting environment that has spawned a truly unique subculture, but the huge population of pirates, smugglers, mercenaries, and outright killers means that anthropologists won't be documenting it anytime soon. Cathcart's largest quote unquote world is called Spider, a sprawling mass of abandoned UEE warships spiraling in ever-increasing mated tendrils around an ancient colony ship's massive hull. Visitors are encouraged to keep their suits on during their stay, as the shoddy construction of the inhabited areas often gives out. Still, it's a great place to pick up a bargain if you aren't picky about what century your ship upgrades came from." The Cathcart System ownership is lawless or pirate. It has zero planets, no planetary rotations, obviously, with refuse imports, salvage exports, a high crime status, a black market weapons specialization, with a UEE strategic value of purple. Now, in looking at the spider concept art, which is actually my desktop wallpaper currently, the first thing that jumps out at me is the density of the visuals. There's just so much going on. A listener who goes by the name of Jenner Newen, and who you might hear from in a future episode, sent me some correspondence in the hopes that I would address, among other things, the visuals and visual style of Star Citizen. I'm going to do that very lightly here, but as we are pressed for time, and it's one of the meatier subjects to talk about, we'll visit it much more in the future. But when I got my first look at Spider, I was blown away. In so many space games, everything tends to be extremely sparse. You have a big floating space station, and then it's just the blackness of space and maybe a nebula in the background. Spider isn't even a planet, but a mass of giant warships orbiting an even larger colony ship, and it's grungy. You can't even see space through the floating debris and skeletal hulls. I love the masses of hydraulic or life support pumping tubing or whatever their purpose is. I'm also excited to imagine what the reconfigured interiors of these ships must be like. They all used to be military vessels, and now the ready rooms are probably bars and clubs. The captain's quarters are where pirate boss figures have set up residence. The once pristine hallways are likely lined with filthy rum and vomit stains or hydrofraws. It's a beautiful, disgusting image. Disgustingly beautiful. And I love what springs to mind visually when reading that you're advised to keep your spacesuits on during your stay due to the instability of the whole thing. It makes the numerous shady figures who walk around without them that much more hardcore, and you'll most likely be able to pick out, like a city tourist, someone who doesn't normally visit there simply by the fact that they are wearing their spacesuit indoors. Spider appears to be the Tortuga of the Star Citizen universe. It looks like a 300i is settling in for a landing there as well, which is always nice to see, even though we're getting a bit cramped sitting in our own 300i cabin together, alongside all this recording and broadcasting equipment. But seeing the 300i navigating through the treacherous debris to land there calls to mind how atmospheric flight might work in a perfect future where CIG is able to implement it. In this type of environment, just landing and taking off could potentially be very dangerous, but atmospheric flight, alongside visual style, is another in-depth subject for a more in-depth day. Now, I could be wrong, but I believe this concept art is a Chris Olivier creation, but feel free to correct me if alternative info crops up. I'm inclined to think he created it, as besides the fact that he's the chief visual officer, I was fortunate to be sitting in the Star Citizen chat room when he was in there just the other day, and he casually mentioned that he had been finishing up an environmental concept he was particularly proud of. We also talked a little bit about movies randomly, but one thing I was excited to learn is that CIG plans to implement more than one landing place or spaceport per planet, perhaps not on all planets, and perhaps not right away, but this will definitely be a great alternative or holdover to atmospheric flight. It opens up opportunities to almost effectively double the locational options available in the game universe if you have a planet that has a major city as seen in the tech demo on one side of the planet, and on the other side is more of a Tatooine-style desert for example, or a Hoth-style research outpost at one of the poles, and so on. All exciting stuff, but as that familiar music indicates, my producer is calling the clock on this episode. Unfortunately, as we progress over the next few months, we are going to find ourselves involved in some hairy and hairier situations due to the nature of work we do outside of this program. Some of it is dangerous, and while it's true that any show could be our last if one of us finds ourselves at the business end of a bad mistake, a contingency recording is safely stowed for that possibility and ready to broadcast if that possibility proves itself inevitable. Until then, The only inevitability is that some future episodes may have to be shorter than usual, but the news, segments, and all things important will always be there. But for now, we're here, and the air is growing thinner. So we leave you with the slightest of previews for our next episode, which may just, if we're lucky and no complications arise, feature a man who is known to always have our backs in conflicts, both large and small, whether we're in a bar and spider or flying through space, you might say he's the kind of man you'd like on your wing. My name is Senate Van Rijn, and this has been another episode of Stars Oratoria. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.